Hi, this is Morgan Michael welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast, where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. I believe that we all have an innate need to be seen, heard, and understood. When we dedicate ourselves to kindness, the ripple effects in our schools can be life-changing. Through this podcast, I want to challenge you to question your assumptions, amplify your insight, and embrace a willingness to go beyond the status quo in education. Together, let's learn how to make a big impact, one small act at a time. In this episode, you'll learn so many strategies, tools, and lesson ideas for teaching integrated and meaningful learning that it'll have you sprinting to your classroom with a recharged sense of purpose. In this conversation, Adrian Gear explores specific ways of teaching social-emotional skills that will prepare our students for the future and how to use the three-step powerful understanding model to do so. Adrian Gear has been a teacher in the Vancouver School District in Canada for over 18 years. She is the author of six best-selling books, including Reading Power and Writing Power, and has just completed her sixth book, Powerful Understanding. It's a wonderful book. I suggest everyone go and take a look at it and pick it up. Find her online on her website at readingpowergear.com or on social media by searching Adrian Gear. For more information about her books, book lists, blog, resources, and workshops, visit my website, smallactbigimpact.com, and search for episode 10. Thanks so much for listening. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the importance of the social emotional learning piece in our everyday, you know, tech obsessed world and even a little bit to to talk a little bit about the importance for developing skills related to self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, decision making and the grit, the positive growth mindset, resiliency, gratitude, like all of these skills mm-hmm. that we've talked about and we've heard about and I remember you talking about I think it was uh, I can't remember the name but it was somebody who talked about the importance of this. Yes, yeah, so important. Jack Ma. Yeah, that was super interesting because I've already started writing the book. And then when I heard him, it was like, oh, it was so important. We have as teachers been asked a, a lot in terms of adding to our content teaching to really teach children some social skills teaching them how to get along with others, to be socially responsible, to recycle, all of these kind of areas. And and I know a lot of teachers feel that these skills, although absolutely important, um, you know, it's just one more thing on our plate that mm-hmm. we feel like we've we've got to spend time doing. And when our new curriculum came out, it, it was based around these three core competencies. So how to communicate, with others, communication, and that involves technology as well. And then this whole idea of thinking and critical thinking and creative thinking. But the third competency that uh, that is 
very evident in our curriculum now is is um, social emotional and this idea that part of our role as uh, teachers is not only to educate our students in content, but to teach them how to function in the world. And, and to function in the world, you need to initially um, know who you are. Mm -hmm. This idea of self-identity and really understanding who you are as a person. And, in, and once that's been established and, and there's this strong sense of self, then we can move into that area of getting along with others. And that getting along with others is all the things that we talk about with, um, you know, kindness and empathy and inclusion. And then once we know how to really get along with others in our in our local community and our sort of social network, then it's kind of expanding out into the world and and making that impact or or having our voice heard on on bigger global issues. That idea of global citizenship. So. Because this is such a big part now of the way we teach, um, I, I wanted to explore that a little bit. And when I was starting to write my book, I, I the first part of it was coming up with that critical thinking model. So that was that was um, sort of the, the the foundation. But one of the things that was very important to me is how can I how can I model that model in my book? How can I show that idea of critical thinking or powerful understanding um, in 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 a context that every teacher of every grade could um, grab onto, mm -hmm. and so I I thought that rather than focusing on specific content to show the model with immigration or um, science or you know social studies topics, I wanted to explore how can we use this model but link it to the social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. And um, one of uh, one of the things that I, I think most BC teachers are aware of is the, the first uh, people's principles of learning. And that was a poster that uh, was developed by FNASC. And every teacher has one in, in, in their classroom. And, and one day I was looking at it and I started to read, you know, the, 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 the principles of learning. And what I noticed was a very similar pattern in what I had been sort of thinking about um, that first peoples uh, first have to um, really learn through exploring self. And then another one was mentioning something about talking about how um, in order to learn, we need to look at what we're learning through the lens of other people and getting along our impact on others. And then of course, the, the, the big, um, very important piece of, of the first of first people's principles is this connection, connection to land and connection to the world. And so I thought that that would be a nice framework for my book that we first begin with exploring self. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've created lots of lessons of how students can explore their own identity. And then the next section is looking at um, others. And then the final chapter are lessons in how to help uh, students explore their role in the world and that global citizenship piece. And so within each the framework of each of those big ideas, um, I've I've 
developed lessons that that teachers can use to support those bigger ideas of of self others and the world and so it's a nice it's a nice way now that one of the things i i felt we were all doing myself included was when we looked at those three core competencies of yes. communication thinking and social emotional learning mm-hmm. i felt that we were all trying to compartmentalize those yes and teach them in isolation but i do feel like the intention of this is to kind of you just in in the same respect as first people's principles that we're trying to incorporate all of them into all that we're teaching and so this was a way for me to kind of show how we how can we link those core competencies um together so that was kind of the framework that I use that social emotional learning is is very very high on on everyone's radar right now yes and I think a lot of it has to do with just the shift we've noticed in the way our children are coming to school without a a strong sense of self and without um confidence in in, in who they are and particularly around sort of dealing with problems and problem solving. And, and I think that there's, there's several factors that maybe are the, are, are the reason why our children are coming. And I, I just raised two children. So I, I've seen this shift, but I think technology has changed a lot in the way that children are interacting because they're, they're spending so much more time just looking at a screen as opposed to interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. So I think social skills have really started to decline because they don't know how to interact. And and I also think, and and I'm including myself in the helicopter parenting (laughs) (laughs) group, um, parents are, are so involved in their children's life and learning and 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 we tend to step in a little bit more certainly than my parents did to try to help problem solve and so that in a way is not helping kids because when the problems come up and there no one's there to to solve it for them they don't have those skills so there's a lot of emphasis now on the importance of this social emotional piece and how teachers really need to find ways to incorporate these very essential skills into their classroom learning. And so again, these were all things that I started to explore when I was trying to put my book together. Can we link this critical thinking model, but use some of these very valuable lessons about self, others in the world to to um, support our students, um, the, you did mention um, the 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 fellow that that made a big impact on mm-hmm. me. So um, Jack Ma is the founder of the Alibaba Group in China, and the Alibaba Group I didn't know a lot about it, but I'd heard of it. It is equivalent a, a little bit to Amazon, I think, in yes. China. But but he would be you know, if you're doing a parallel, kind of like the Bill Gates of China, like very well known and highly regarded and highly respected and just sort of a 
an amazing person technologically and 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 philanthropy and everything and so he was at the world economic forum in uh, january and he was at a small kind of breakout session i believe i just saw this clip on youtube anyways jack ma was talking about education and he was um asked um by somebody about you know how do you view education now in in this day and he said uh, education we're we're sort of at a crossroads right now because the way we've been teaching for the last 200 years is all knowledge based mm-hmm. and content driven and so the problem is that computers in 30 years are going to be smarter than humans. And so in 30 years, he quoted some phenomenal number, like computers are going to take over, over 80 million jobs. And we see that all the time. I mean, banking and post office and everything's online. And so in, in 30 years, there are no going going to be no, no not a lot of those kind of jobs mm-hmm. and so he said what we need to do is we need to change the way we teach and we need to change what we're teaching our children yes. because we cannot keep up with computers so then someone in the audience asked him okay so what are we supposed to teach yes. and he had five things and he and he said um values so values like real values, morals, um, believing in yourself, care for others, independent thinking, and the arts. And when I heard him talk about the idea of self-identity and values, believing in yourself, caring for others, um, you know, this, all of these, these are all the social emotional sort of these are all the social pieces of social emotional learning. And he said, if we, what everything we teach our children from now on needs to try to make them different from computers, we need to teach them that emotional and ways of getting along with other people and being an independent thinker, because those are the skills that computers will never be able to take over. I was just so fascinated by yes. that. And because I was in the middle of writing this book, it was just this jolt of energy is like, yes, this is exactly what, why we're, we need to be focusing on this so much. So it was really kind of exciting for me. It's so exciting. And I think it's such an important thing for people to hear from someone who's very, very successful on an international (laughs) level in a culture that, that may or may not reflect our own. And so really understanding that this is a really big movement. This is not just something in in our neck of the woods or no. you know or our city. It's it's a global movement to really move into this more social social emotional way of interacting with kindness. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about kindness because the podcast is really centered around kindness yes, and absolutely. and not and not really this you know this this superficial level of kindness, but more so this ability to see, hear, and seek to understand one another on a really fundamental level. And what I found 
that comes up again and again is the the biggest and most effective way to connect with kids and even with our staff members and with our employees if we're you know if we own businesses is to really dig into that and when we lead with empathy and compassion and kindness that we are able to build really strong relationships. Our self-concept is really strong and our culture is extremely um, supportive and safe in such a way that it can cue innovation and creativity and for people to take risks and for people to really internalize this sense of, you know, this growth mindset where we're trying new things and if it fails, that's okay and we can overcome that adversity because we know that that's just part of the journey instead of feeling like we have to have our armor up. So I want to talk a little bit about developing kindness because you do dedicate quite a bit of your book to that mm-hmm. and and some of maybe the examples that you've used and the books that you've used to pull that, to pull that learning out in a really authentic way and even to inspire some kindness type projects that may have come out of it and and I know that you've had a lot of student work within your book and and within actually all of your books and and that reflects the really deep learning that comes so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and of course some of the tangible actionable ways that teachers can bring that into their classroom okay um so with this idea of kindness the 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 thing about that particular word is that children hear it all the time. Yes. They hear it from parents. They hear it from teachers. They hear it from, you know, the principal. You know, be kind, be kind, be kind. But I'm so, I'm such a visual person. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Like, yes. what does kindness look like? And what what does it feel like when you are kind and when someone is kind to you? And so one of the things that I try to do with all of the lessons in my book is I try to get the kids to actually think about their current positioning or current current understanding of, of the topic. So what I like to do is I like to if I'm if I'm exploring any of these lessons on on kindness and empathy and inclusion, um, I, I always like to give the children one word and have them just with a partner, with a buddy, uh, drawing pictures or talking or writing words down. What does kindness look like to you? So one of the things, and I, I do it with also with friendship. Friendship is a really important part of of this getting along with others because, you know, we we all have good friends that we can, you know, be kind to. But but what about the other people that might not be our friend, but we can still be friendly to them? So all these kind of these concepts. But so I would give so here's like a concrete example. I give the children a piece of paper with the word kindness written on it. And I say, okay, this is, we're going to be exploring this for the next couple of days. When right now, before I talk about the word, before I read my, you know, my kindness stories to you, what do you think? And so they explore it. They draw pictures and then we have a little, they might write words and then we talk about it and we kind of brainstorm currently right now. What do we think about this word? Again, what I'm trying to get kids to do is just really come up with examples of what that looks like. The next part of the lesson possibly would be reading a story. And I, I know for anyone who's listening that knows me or, or reading power, the, the passion I have for children's books. Yes. And so one of the important 
pieces to me for helping nudge children's thinking, help them revisit and rethink and um, reevaluate a topic is through these brilliant picture books. And I, I'm constantly on the lookout. I'm, I'm, I'm putting together book lists. But there's a lot of great, great books about kindness, and um, I, I'm so I'm going to read uh, one of these books, and I might read a, a story to them about um, uh, the one I'm just thinking of now is called Ordinary Mary's yes. Extraordinary Deed, which is this idea of kindness passing being passed forward. So I might read that book and we'll talk about it. And then I might say, so how did this book change your thinking? Let's go back to our papers. Let's revisit this word. And can you show me with a different color of pencil or a different you know, part of your paper how has your thinking changed? So this is me helping students go through that that cycle of, okay, we're going to explore kindness, mm-hmm. we're going to interact with the story, but then we're going to come into that developing some new understanding. And then often with a lesson, there will be some kind of follow-up activity. So it usually starts with a discussion. We have a, a story connected to the topic. We revisit our thinking, and then there'll be some kind of out. Oh, sort of extension and so the extension I have um one of the lessons extension lessons is is called leaving your heart print which I love yeah and so this idea of a footprint uh, so I'll show students a a picture this could possibly probably be the next day but we're still exploring kindness so show them a picture of footprints in the sand and talk about what is it and how do you make a footprint and then hand prints and show that and the idea that you know when you're physically putting your foot into something softer, it actually makes that print. But then what about a heart print? How can we leave a heart print? Because you can't take your heart out of your chest and put it (laughs) on some kind of sand or mud or anything and make a physical print. But we can make a feeling print on somebody. And so um, what I have the children do is kind of talk about ways that people have left foot uh, heart prints on them and then what are some ways that they can leave possibly a heart print on someone else and so the the little template that I have that I give the children is they have to think of one thing that they can do to leave a heart print at school that week and one thing they can do to leave a heart print at home and they they just sort of brainstorm two ideas and then we we come back to this paper uh, a few days later and they are just going to kind of explore or just uh, describe what happened when when they did either one of those activities how did it make you feel and what happened and the example that I have um, in the book is a little a little boy who said to leave a heart print at school he was going to tell the librarian that she was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then um, at the end, he he writes that he, um, I told Mrs. Matterson that she was beautiful and she told me it made her day. Mm-hmm. So I describe one of your heart print experiences. What did you do and how did it make you feel? And so these are ways, tangible ways that, 
I want children to be able to really understand kindness. Um, I think we can say be kind yes. all the time. And sure. as I said, children hear that word so often, but I, I think taking it to that, nudging them into that next place of deepening their understanding, we have to put it into context of actually an, a, a kind act. Um, and so anyways, that's just an example of one of the lessons, but it's interesting because there's, um, there's a, another lesson all everything that I, all the lessons in the book are really connected to kindness. It's really yes. that's the underlying piece. Yes. Inclusion is is kindness. Diversity is kindness. Like everything yes. is around kindness. It's it, but um, but but there's different names to it. That's right, so, and different avenues that you can take to really exactly. specify what how how you're going to approach it exactly. Exactly, and one of the things about children at school is inclusion is a really big piece, and mm. often children exclude others for various reasons. Um, and we've all been in situations, and especially like the birthday party nightmare oh. when half the class gets birthday invitations and someone doesn't get one and they're in, not included. And And so there's a lovely book called I'm Not Invited, and it's the, that exact story about a child who doesn't get invited to the birthday party when everyone else around is getting the sparkly invitations. And so a really great connection because all kids have experienced that and so um it's it's really important when i'm teaching any of these concepts is to put it in to a a, a place where they'll make those connections and that's what i feel like these picture books how they bring value to to the lessons is they they really touch touch on topics and subjects that the kids can connect to far more than I think, you know, just me talking about it can. Yes. So that that's a, a really important. So one of the one of the lessons in that book um, is I I suggest that the teachers make these invitations and some of them say you're invited and some of them say <laughs> you're not invited and tell them that there's a big party after lunch and, <laughs> and, and pass out the invitations and half the class gets to go and they have to stand on one side of the room and the other people stand on the other side of the room and we talk about that. And how it feels how to be excluded. Feel? Yes. So it and 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 why that's the big question. Why did I not get invited yes. to this party? Like, what were the? And so that would be something I prob probably wouldn't do with a grade one class because sure. they'd all end up falling and then it. a disaster. <laughs> but with an older class, you can really do that. You can really kind of get to the you know get to those feelings, yes. tapping into those feelings. And I love and that. I, love I think that. that's, I a, think real that's a real sense of. Um, developing, developing empathy, empathy. and mm -hmm. just this idea that we are able to sort of put ourselves in a sort of a manufactured situation but it enables us to use that experience to jump off and check ourselves in the real world right yeah. like really to be able to think about oh my words might actually have an impact my words might actually matter and exactly and really developing that like I always like to say, are you proud of the way that you interacted today? Oh, and, that's great. And I, I won't own that. I think Seth Godin is the one who really came up with that. But I think mm -hmm. transferring it to 
to an education sort of realm and really getting kids to tap into their integrity in that respect and Mm -hmm. what they stand for. And again, it comes back, like you said, to those values and it's really intrinsic. And I think, I think we talked a while back about kids coming up with this sense of, of this value system and that integrity piece and that kids are actually quite attuned to what, what, matters to them right yeah and 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 one of the things that I often really think about when I'm doing these lessons with kids is is we we I think sometimes we sell them short a little bit I don't think we give them enough credit because a lot of times they just I've I've got so many examples in the book of where children have just come to this place of deep understanding because I, I, so I think this is the key. Um, I I feel like teachers do such an amazing job, and and but one of the things is that we all feel that sense of pressure of time, mm-hmm. and the, the pressure of of time to finish this lesson and go on to the next one. And so one of the things that I think that this book is really trying to do is give space and time in your classroom for that reflection piece, Mm -hmm. because there's amazing things that happen there. There's amazing thinking that goes on. But if we're always in a rush to finish the lesson and go to the next thing, and we don't give them that space, we'll never actually be privy to that. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever get to see that. And so one of the things that when I was doing these lessons for my book, I, I specifically gave that time and it's not long time. It's just maybe 10 extra minutes, but it's a time for reflection and you call it, let's reflect, let's, Mm -hmm. let's reflect on our thinking. How is our thinking different now? How does our, how does our thinking look now compared to what we talked about before the lesson started. Remember when I gave you that paper of kindness and we've done all these things, what are you thinking now about kindness that maybe you hadn't thought about before Mm. and what the children come up with. And so with older students, I actually gave them um, sort of a reflection or powerful understanding journal. Like it's just a reflective journal Mm -hmm. where they're able to just jot down some new thinking. Here's what I'm thinking now. And, but with younger children, sometimes I find that that written output is frustrating for, for many children, because a lot of times written output is not the reflective of of what they're thinking about. And so it can be quite frustrating to have to always go and write what I'm thinking. Yes. So I love to just have uh, a little clipboard beside me. And when children write, uh, say things, uh, you know, when we're doing a reflective sharing, I'll jot that down and I'll put the student's name down just so I can remember if they say something particularly, um, you know, of value or, or demonstrating some thinking. I also think that there's, and I mentioned them in my book, there's a lot of, um, apps that you can use where children can just go to their an iPad in a corner and just speak into it and and share their speaking um share their thinking uh orally I think it's again all these little things that we might not give room for I think that is actually what is going to help your students move to that place of deep understanding is giving them that that time. Um, can I just read one? Example? Yes, please do. 
So um, one of the book, one of the lessons that I have in our in the chapter about um, understanding self is on moral, uh, my moral compass. Right. And a moral compass is that just that compass inside us that, uh, like a real compass, helps us find direction when we're lost help us know where we're going but a moral compass is sort of the same it kind of gives us a sense of direction of when when we're trying to make a decision and we're trying to do something we have to pay attention to that moral compass anyways the children learned that and we talked about it and then I like to choose picture books where characters are experiencing moral moral dilemmas so the one I read was called Sergio's bike I'm oh, sorry, A Bike Like Sergio's by Maribeth Bolt. Mm-hmm. And this is a story of a young uh, boy who uh, ends up finding some money on the ground in um, in uh, his, uh, in, a, in the corner grocery store, sorry, um, in the corner grocery store. So he finds some money and he sees the woman who's dropped it. And the moral dilemma is, do I give the money back or do I keep it? Tough one. And so I pause in the middle of the book and we we have a discussion. What would you do? Are you going to give the money back or are you not? And so this little boy ends up keeping the money and he goes home and he puts it in his pocket. He thinks it's a $10 bill, but when he gets home and he takes it out of his uh, pocket, it's a $100 bill. Mm. So now he has enough money to buy this bike that his friend has. But again, it's this moral dilemma. What's his mom going to say? I mean, it's such a great book for yes. reading pausing. So the question then was, we're exploring our moral compass, and we're kind of developing new understanding. So most of the kids, when we did our reflection, were really reflecting on the fact that they hadn't ever really paid attention to their moral compass. They, you know, they know right from wrong, and usually it's their parents. (laughs) That was one interesting thing that came up. It's usually the parents that are telling them the right or wrong thing to do. But this idea that you have your own inside that you should be paying attention to. Yes. So, but this one boy wrote something so amazing, like so unexpected. Um, I just wanted to share it with you. So this that. is the reflection from a boy he's in grade four. So when you were reading that story about Sergio's bike, I kept thinking about Charlie and the chocolate factory. When Charlie found the money in the street, he kept it, kind of like Sergio did. And then it turned out that he found the golden ticket with the money he spent on the chocolate. So it turned out in the end to be a really good choice, even though he kept the money. So when is it okay to do something wrong? And when is it not okay? Wow. And I was like, wow. That's deep understanding. Yeah. Talk about deep understanding. Like he's making connections. He's asking questions. He's tr- thinking this whole thing through. And I often, so so when there's moments like that, and when I get that from a student, that's when I realize the importance of that space, mm-hmm. the reflection time. And I think that's what I'm hoping that this book will help teachers recognize is that rather than rushing to the next thing is just take that breath and take that time and have students because 
kind of go into that place of thinking because that's where that's where the like that's where the magic happens. Like it really, it really does. Yes. And I, I, I was that, so oh sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go I ahead. was just so excited when I saw that you were you were incorporating journaling and that type of reflection into the practice because I think personally I've seen such powerful effects of journaling and the ability for when you put your you know when you put your thoughts down or on paper or you articulate them orally that something Mm -hmm. happens in your brain that just Mm -hmm. makes it come to life in a very different way and I think there's been a lot of research around this around goal setting and and all of this but I think your brain does some subconscious work to really consolidate your learning and I think even as an adult that some really profound realizations can come out of really reflecting and making the the intentional time and space for it so I just think it's so wonderful that you bring it bring it to life in your book and and offer some really tangible ways. Because I think even for adults, it can be a really challenging oh. a, a thing to do. And, and yeah. often we don't know how to do it. And, you know, yeah. sometimes I, I started off journaling and it was, I, I felt somehow compelled and, and insisted that I needed to do this in narrative type format, you know, prose, prose almost. And I've just thrown that out. And sometimes it's just a few sentences. Sometimes it's point form. Sometimes there's a theme, sometimes there's not. So it's just interesting. The, 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 one of the, the problems that happens, I think with journals in the, in a, in a classroom is journals don't always promote depth of thinking. Often journals that we give our kids particularly at the early primary where we're just starting to explore writing end up being really boring. I call them bed to bed stories. There's, (laughs) I got up, I had breakfast, I went to school, I played at recess, I came home, I watched TV, I went to bed and it's so boring to read. There's nothing to them. So the word journal has this kind of, I, I always think, Oh, journals. But to, to put it in form of like a reflection journal, not mm-hmm. tell me what you did today, but tell me how your thinking shifted. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different kind of journaling. But I think that there's a mindset with teachers and journals that it's like, what did you do on the weekend? Yes. <laughs> and we have to kind of maybe, um, yeah, change our change our approach. And maybe even give that. ourselves permission because I think sometimes it's about kind of clinging to the status quo because that's what we grew up with and that's what mm-hmm. we envisioned good teaching looks like and we all hate it but then something about it makes us feel like oh this is what teaching is supposed to look like you know so I think that's such a great thing to be talking about and to be acknowledging is that this this way that it's always been done doesn't need to be the way that they built um Nunavut in in the past lived in igloos I mean those things were you know that was so surface and superficial yeah so superficial and so I feel like this was a much better way um not that we don't want to learn about the past but it was a much better way of teaching what I think is more authentic to what we want to be focusing on with that indigenous piece I agree and I think really really authentic in terms of when and I think you've mentioned this before this this piece about the gratitude if you were to if you were just to list off the different values that the indigenous exactly people tend to to value as as an important sort of trait or character trait that if you were to say gratitude it just wouldn't ring mm-hmm. the same like it just wouldn't really have as much meaning as 
as it does for the kids who learn about it when they learn about it in context through story. So I think that narrative piece is such an important thing. It's so important. And that, that, that everything is a story. Storytelling can be leadership. And in fact, I'd say really effective leaders bring story. And I think as teachers and educators and principals, you know, that's a big part of kind of getting, getting enrollment from people and getting people excited and inspired. And I love that you do that. I think you have such a, an amazing gift and passion for harnessing the power of story and, and being able to to enable students to go through some really transformational learning through it. So thank you for showing us the way. <laughs> I love finding ways to use them to inspire and to, and I, I say this over and over, but they nudge or they nudge they do. us into that reflective place and yes. they, they, they open our eyes and our hearts. And I think that that's one of the ways that teachers can really, you know, bring all of these important socially emotional, but particularly kindness. And, and there's lots of great, great books to shine the light on, on that. And I would urge anybody listening to please pick up the powerful understanding book by Adrian gear, because it is chock full of lists of books, really detailed lessons, really well laid out so that you could literally open the book and, and teach this to your students in a really profound way to the point where you'd you know where to start. And I think sometimes that's the most challenging part. So you've laid that out so beautifully for, for educators and I, I just love it. So mm-hmm. also, of course, your other books and um, and your, your blog has just so many great book lists, but also ideas. And so I'll definitely be linking your, because I'm just so intrigued by your most magnificent school project. Oh, yes. Which was so great. Yes. So I, I would really like to uh, definitely link that for, for people to dig into if they have a chance, because it's such a great way of building growth mindset and, and really digging into creating interesting things and, and challenging their learning. Well, and also to use that model of explore mm-hmm. and interact and develop, we put it into that context of creating a most magnificent thing based on the book by Ashley Spires. And so it was a great starting place for our school. It's really a school-wide project where everyone takes a box that they bring from home and turns it into a most magnificent thing. I'm not sure if I told you this, but I might have mentioned. So the first year we did it, the children were building like just extraordinary, like we had jukeboxes and computers and racing cars. And um, I mean, the, the just it was endless, the creativity that the children did designing and reflecting so that was the key piece when something wasn't working in their design and in their building they had to go back and reflect and interact and ask questions why isn't it working and then develop a new way of doing whatever it was that wasn't working so that was a really important part of it that reflect go back change and and so that was all the process but Next year, what we really are going to try to do is rather than turning it into a like a passion project, like what are you passionate about? Build something out of your box. We're, we're going to think about it in terms of a compassion project. So when they build their most magnificent thing this fall for our school wide project, um, what they design has to 
to have some connection to helping the world or helping others. So rather than doing, you know, computers and jukeboxes and that idea of something personal that they want, they're trying to kind of look outwards into the world. Um, so that's going to be a really nice uh, transition from what they've already done. We've all done the most magnificent project, but now... Um, and this actually idea came from a good friend of mine who teaches in Calgary, Alison Zwack, and she she took this idea of the Magnificent Project and turned it into a compassion project. So I love that. Could you define what kindness means to you? I think, okay, so if I put it into the context of my new book, I think really kindness is self, others, and world. I, I really think that it's not just about being kind to another person you have to be kind to yourself and you don't just use kindness to be kind to your friend you have to be kind to everyone and then kindness goes beyond into the world so I would say kindness is self others and world I love it what book or books have you gifted most often to people Okay, so that changes so often. <laughs> There's always new books that um, have come out, but probably the most recent one ones. Um, There's one called Life by Cynthia Ryland. Mm -hmm. Love. Oh, by the by the author who won the um, Caldecott for Last Stop on Market Street, Matt. Paena, I think as you pronounce it. Okay. So that one's called Love. And then um, uh, Lessons from Planet Earth. And I think that's Oliver Jeffers. So those would be my three. Um, it's interesting how, um, I've, I, I think I mentioned this before, how authors tend to focus on sort of responding to the world with their picture books. And like, so two years ago, there was lots of books coming out in immigration and a few, a year, maybe before that, there was books on truth and reconciliation because these were the sort of the current world topics and everything that came out last year was responding to the chaos in the world. Mm -hmm. I felt like all the hatred that was starting to build and all the anger and all the um, the racism that all of a sudden started coming out. The, the, the picture book authors, they, they, they respond to that. And so all the books that came out last year were all about love and kindness and hope. And, oh, it was just amazing, amazing year for, for books um, connected to social emotional, definitely. That's great. Thank you for those. What one skill or superpower does a teacher need to lead with in order to be effective? Um, I think compassion. I do. I just think um, I posted something on my Facebook page um, the other day that just got such a response. It wasn't mine. It was just a quote, but I, I felt connected to it so strongly um, about um the story behind the misbehavior mm -hmm. will not make you angry, but will often break your heart. And I think that we need to really look at their story. I think you're and, right. And, and their stories are beautiful and heartbreaking and joyful. But I think to really 
tap into that social emotional piece, we need to build a community of compassion in our classrooms because, you know, as Jack Moss said, the content, you know, they can they can tap and, and touch and Google search any content they want, but they can't get that compassion from a laptop. And I think we need to be that compassion model for, for them. Well, I think that's such a great way to end it. Thank you so, so much for your time and for, for really digging in again and having this very, very important conversation. It was such a, such a wonderful and important one to have. Well, it was such a pleasure to be included in this project. I'm, I'm, I'm honored that, that you sought me out and, and invited me to be part of it. I think it's just a wonderful, a wonderful way of having the conversation with with many people. So thank you very much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gained from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.